pale horse. The man who sat on him was dead. And hell followed with him. You're killing me, man. What's up, everybody, and welcome to Declarations of War. I am your host, Alexei Carr, joined by co-host Yin Tan. Howdy, howdy. And Artemis Albosa. Howdy, howdy. <laughs> Thank you for joining us once again. If Artemis can't be first, he'll at least copy what goes second. For some shout-outs, first off, I want to give a big thank you to Cruiser's Crew. that had a really fantastic fleet experience with them. Uh, it's, I'm going to talk about it a little more in my host highlight, but it was it was good stuff. Uh, and I also want to give a shout-out to Twerkin, recent recruit to the Capitalist Army, for his enthusiastic support for the podcast. Uh, I want to give my shout-out to my dad. It's Father's Day in the UK, and he's long suffered through uh, my many Eve-related activities, such as shouting at people angrily on the internet at 2am. So, you know, shout-out to him for not murdering me in my sleep yet. I'd also like to give a shout-out to Jintan's dad, fantastic guy, can confirm. Also, shout-out to my father as well, because it's also Father's Day in the United States. I would give a shout-out to my dad, but he definitely doesn't listen to the show. <laughs> well, my dad also doesn't, but you know. I, I, I wish you would. I love him anyway. Get my dad well, to play you someday. I rescind my shout-out if, if he's not a listener to the Declarations of War podcast. He cannot be shout-out. That's solidarity right there. Thank you. Wow, hush. <laughs> so we asked, are nightmares OP? Overwhelmingly, 100% of the audience say no. Nightmares are not OP. I guess that would be the Macario only. We all know that yeah. Macs are OP. Mm. Yeah. Moving uh, into our top stories. Oh my fucking God. There is so much to talk about. First things first, an epic kill. The Golden Magnate has been killed. This is a frigate worth, according to the kill board's valuation, five... Whoa, Jesus, motorcycle guy, thanks for that. Uh, <laughs> about 500 billion isk. That's a lot. That's quite a lot. So what's the story? Which was it the first Amar Championship Succession Trials thing that this was the reward for? Yeah, it's um, a reward for the winning, uh, the winning members of any uh, like uh, of any Amar championship team. Uh, and Maxine Antilles, who was the killer of this ship, is actually one of the recipients of it. And given the name of the pilot here, which is I Quit Fly Safe 07, I'm going to assume that this is him uh, going out in style, as it were. What an epic way to go out it is. Sad to see such an excellent pilot leave the game, though. Especially one that's uh, kind of a mainstay in the Amar community. The total valuation of the kill is nearly $6,300, or almost 5,000 euros. It's uh, just over 3,700 pounds for the British out there. One kill. With a smart bomb. If you're going to quit... You should probably give your stuff to other people, but if you're not going to do that, better this than it hanging around in your hangar, I guess. Kind of disappointed they didn't kill the pod, though. 
You gotta double tap it. Mm. Speaking of fails, Goons tried to drop dreads. Didn't really go that well. Ian, do you want to discuss this story since it happened in your neck of the woods? I really don't know that much about it. It kind of just happened and then there was a bit of smug posting on a couple of discords and then it went under the radar. Something something baited on shield supers? Something something wouldn't, would have died if it was an armor super. <laughs> <laughs> I was very surprised because like all the goon dreads are properly fit with cap newts. Like how do you not camp out a shield super with all of those dreads? Um, That's a question. I'm sure they're going to be asking themselves over and over again for quite a while. Uh, from what I know, they were dropped like a little off. Like they weren't in perfect newt range, and then the Leviathan just like coasted out of newt range. Ah, so just capital slowly. prop mod saving the day. Whoops. I, uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> in which case, log get wrecked. <laughs> so goons lost. Uh... About 200 billion worth of dreadnoughts. And mostly killed by, what was it? Uh, looks like Tri dropped supers as well. Tri yep. were the supers which goons were trying to dread bomb, as I understand it. Gotcha. No, they were trying to dread bomb a lot of Ithan, I believe. But the supers were also on grids. At the time. There were supers here. That's the overall point. Yeah, that's that's really what the super's role is now, right? Or at least right this second, in Eve is like, fragging the shit out of dreads is what they're really really good at. I definitely did. Also, I guess not directly related to goons, but well, not really related to goons at all, I guess. But test Fcon Circle Two came in. They're listed as a group, although I don't think they're normally together. Uh, they lost almost sixty-five bill. And then Try itself lost just over 32 bill, mostly subcaps. It looks like a Max and, and Tech 3 cruisers, things like that. Can, can I just ask why are people still why are people using Tempests? Because this is like the second time I've seen people use Tempests. Like, why wouldn't you use why? a Tempest? But what? No, that that's that's not an answer when you're talking about a ship. You my money is say... on my money is on the dual heavy newts. I mean, it's dual heavy newts, it's a decent tank, it's insane damage, flexibility with artillery or autocannons. Did you just call, like, a 140-ish KEHP decent tank? Yeah. Also, none of these have injectors fit. Re. Like, they're like bad whelp pests. Uh. The, whelp, the whelp cane was an awesome flea doctrine, and the whelp pest is just the natural evolution of it. For not that much more money, you get way more damage, way more tank, and heavy newts. Yeah, but we used to have actual whelp pests, and they were shield fit, and they were nano fit, and they were really interesting. And they were used to, like, dunk on supers and shit. Are so you complaining about armor tempest, specifically? Yeah, because you don't do as much damage. You can't just, like, randomly dunk on nerds in the same way. No, armor well, tempests are an abomination. To be fair, you were just complaining about shield tempests as well, Jim, so... I will say complain I'm complaining about the I'm complaining about the shield artillery tempest fit, which is also bad. Like both of these are fit wrong. But I I don't know. Maybe I'm just bad and don't understand how these doctrines work. But like there just seems like better ships you can do in every single one of those roles. Next like on theory crafting corner, how not to do tempests. 
Why Tempests Suck <laughs> by Jintan. Anyway, yeah, pretty pretty interesting dunk, and you know, kind of the first time I've seen a Dread Bomb fail in a while. Yeah, I mean, yes and no. I've seen ones with mixed successes. The thing with Dreads is they tend to bring down something along with them, which sort of makes an otherwise fail bomb look at least passable as a success. Yeah, because like the the changes to Doomsday, so if you have just uh, Titans in mass, you can't delete Dreads off the field, and the what do they call it? CEHs, Emergency Hall Energizers, meaning that almost guaranteed, unless there's some serious cap warfare or your pilots are just garbage, the Dread's going to be on there for a minimum amount of time, which is usually enough to kill a super, because you've got to go Dread by Dread by Dread. So, it's... I'm surprised it failed as well. I think it's, as Jin said, the positioning which led to their downfall, but if you get the positioning right, then I don't see a way which Dread Bombs can fail and with current dread meta can i just give a shout out by the way to that one boy in a phoenix living the dream <laughs> phoenix is, is a good ship actually i don't know how the phoenix is anymore it used to be good it's like still pretty good actually like uh, i a meme on the phoenix being bad a lot but it's actually like a fairly decent dread was temporarily a thing that people used to shoot for desires at like 300 kilometers to avoid weapons cram and such Still a thing that people do. Can confirm that PL has done that to us a couple of times. All I gotta say is learn how to fit your four desires. No. <laughs> Just no. Well, speaking of Citadels, a Keepstar was recently killed. This was a big, huge event in Alga. A low-sec Citadel Keepstar put down and... At one point, local hit 2,200. Uh, I caught what I could of it on stream. It was broadcast on Twitch. I was at Twitch working at Twitch. And I was like, oh, shit. Got to turn into this. So my productivity did take a hit, but it was well worth it. <laughs> yeah, five-hour-ish long fight. Pretty rough. Massive tie-dye. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of intricacy that went down in that fight. It was really back and forth in terms of, like, how the strategy went. It was a little difficult to follow off the stream because the... It looked like groups that were actually hitting the Citadel itself were really spread out and not super together. And then there was a cluster of Northern Coalition supercaps that were just warping from one side of the keep start to the other back and forth for some unknown reason to me oh, well basically the like the order of the fight was um project mayhem initiative uh cva and um you know a bunch of other entities go into the grid uh but and nc dot and shadow cartel who are the main kind of defending entities have the capital advantage uh you know shadow cartel brought this massive carrier fleet and um, NC Dots just basically made you cannot kill our carrier fleet by dropping all of their Titans and Supers right at the start of the fight. And the reason why they did it at the start, I believe, is, so, is to prevent like Tidai having an impact on them jumping in, so that they could save anything that got bumped or whatever. Yep, which is pretty smart. Yeah. Um, 
you know, the fight that was then really joined, um, an initial attempt, uh, you know, uh, the attacking forces had the sub-cap advantage, uh, you know, we just had more people, but, you know, initial attempts to actually turn the fight using sub-cap superiority to kind of wrest control of the grid uh, went poorly, the carrier fleet was just too strong, especially in concert with NC Dot's um, Tech 3 fleet to deal with, and the main T3C fleet from Goons got pushed out of the fight. Um, with that, Project Mayhem initiative and CVA, uh, along with the Imperium's other Jackdaw fleet, kept the timer paused, uh, that we focused on the Citadel, clearing, uh, clearing fighters, basically just keeping it paused and doing as much damage as possible. Now, to uh, be clear, was this around. an online Keepstar or had it been online. reinforced? Because I've heard conflicting accounts. It was onlining, so it had been anchored, and this was the point at which you get to kill it in one timer rather than three. Gotcha. Yeah, like, we did some very interesting things in the CVA Cerberus fleet that I brought. Um, we were having four launches and drones on the Citadel, but we were keeping two launches uh, clear because we were covering Project Mayhem's T3 fleet. So we were just we would just swap in on uh, the Project Mayhem T3 fleet at like range. We'd kill every siren that was going towards them as the fighters went towards them, and then as the fighters turned into us, we'd ping off as well, then come back in and keep reinforcing the uh, keep the timer pause that way. But obviously that was uh, very attrition heavy. Um, pretty eventually, like Project Mayhem's T3 fleet got whittled to the point that it just wasn't viable anymore. Uh, and that left NC Dot and Shadow Cartel with basically, uh, basically holding the grid. Uh, you only had like Jackdaws, uh, Serbs and Healers to contest the time with, as the Imperium was en route with, uh, both a backup Jackdaw fleet and more FCs and command ships to restock their T3 fleet. Um, at this point, the time was around, the, the, uh, the keep stores around 30, uh, around 30% of structure. The timer had about 8 minutes remaining, if I remember correctly. There was then some really extensive skirmishing with people warping in and out. Um, just T3 fleet of NC bouncing all over the place, just landing on people and then them warping off, just trying to keep them off-grid for as long as possible. Uh, they briefly just contain, um, get full control of grid after uh, managing to kill a few key parts of the initiative fleet and my own fleet. Pushing us like actually to bounce to a celestials and stuff, mm -hmm. um, and that was like the point at which we went from eight minutes to two minutes fifty nine, uh, and at that point, uh, the decision was made by the concerted commanders of the attacking forces to just start sacrificing fleet um, to keep the timer paused. So there were really heavy losses to fighters and tech threes, um, but we kept it paused at the one minute mark through some troubled times. And then finally the cavalry arrived, Imperium came in, uh, they were able to effectively nullify NC's T3 fleet, because if they engaged on one of us, they would be able to come on top of that, and that would be a very, very difficult fight for NC. to win, um, without like putting their titans in a bad spot. So... They concentrated on picking off as many people as they could. Uh, Pandemic Horde had joined the fight by this point, had, as had Darkness, uh, as had Mercenary Coalition. But the there was just nothing that the defenders could do at that point. The subcap advantage that we had and the skirmish advantage that we had was just too great. So we burnt through the last 20% of the structure and killed it. 
So high level, I mean, it's a pretty odd collection of alliances to be working together to take down the Citadel. Was this just a target of opportunity for CBA, or was this a strategic decision? Uh, in terms of why I went there? Yeah. Or in terms of why everyone worked together? Um, or, I mean, like having... high level, I'd like everybody, but also your personal reasons. Yeah, well, high, high level is the same reason why we went with the Jane Lev one uh, earlier, like in the year. Uh, it's not for us to have basically heavy capital forces with, um, you know, keep stars close to us, especially super, uh, especially super, like, entities with a lot of supers, like, um, Shadow Cartel. Not a lot in, like, the NCPL kind of scale, but a lot as in more than we could field, which Shadow Cartel almost certainly has. That's interesting, because... It's not a range of Provi, but it's one mid for Provi. Yeah, but I feel like, I mean, what would it matter a Keepstar versus a Fortisar? I mean, it would give them the same projection capabilities. More or less. Sure. Um, sure, but if they then try and move, if they then try and encroach into Devoid and get, like, stuff within range of us, uh, it makes it a lot easier for them. It's all about just containing people. And, you know, also it's a 300 billionist kill male who doesn't want that. That's true. Yeah, it's worth pointing out, by the way, that the No Handlebars is a kind of like group that's al al allied or aligned with Shadow Cartel. They're kind of in that weird um, non-project Snufflebox Waffles group of low sex. They're the opposite end of that. Project Snufflebox. <laughs> I thought it was Project Wafflebox. Yeah, I think that's the actual one I'm bad. Okay. <laughs> anyway, the final butcher's bill for this fight. Uh, the attackers lost a hundred, just over a hundred billion. Defenders lost uh, just under three fifteen, and at least what about three hundred of that is the Keepstar itself, right? Mm -hmm. And I lost my Tengu. Rip. And there are also various third parties that lost about twelve. So the defenders actually, I guess because all the focus was on the Keepstar itself, did not really take that much damage. Uh, the T3 fleets that they fielded, aside from their logistics wings, mostly made it out intact. Yeah, it was, it was mostly like some really good target calling in terms of making fights, uh, making the fight that they wanted to take non-viable by um, NC Dot. Like I got a hand it to their commanders, they were doing really, really well at figuring out you know, what ships do we have to tackle to make sure that if they try and go back in, uh, they can't be effective. Like, they were very hard, they were going very, very hard to kill FCs for that reason, because it would be difficult to uh, bring more FCs into such a crowded system. Cool. Well, it was really neat. A lot of folks were remarking that, you know, there hadn't been a big brawl like this in quite a while, even though we just talked about a goon dread bomb, which had even more stuff destroyed. Uh, Eve is dying, folks. And that leaves us into our next story, the Summer of Rage. Or as I think it was better described, the Summer of Mild Discontent. And a lot of whining. A like, lot of an whining. An amazing amount of whining. I, The first couple posts went out 
when people so to kick it all off ccp announces some changes to capital and super capital specifically their fighters right and it, the reasoning for it was pve and people start whining on reddit about this and that gets them started down the eve is dying ccp is making horrible changes trend which brings us to ghost training which at the time had still not been declared an exploit by the way it has uh, some interesting points to talk about that in a bit but then just sort of further back in time various things which people had a chip on their shoulder for kept getting brought up and all of a sudden everybody was just in a massive circle jerk of let's complain about everything and the sky is falling and ccp is terrible it was it's like the the tea party equivalent so just, just everything is wrong. CCP, keep your hands out of our the spaceship game that you made. And they they put they produce the numbers. I mean, it's there's clearly a problem with uh, carrier super carrier ratting generating too much ISK. I think if you're denying that point, and you've totally missed the boat, or are just you believe that. Eve should be a pick-up-and-play game without any consequence of losses. I mean, their analysis... Some people had a valid argument with it because they're like, like oh, 1% of players had were making like a third of the ISK or 20% of the ISK or something, and then like Ishtars and VNIs were making a similar amount, but in a, like 16% of the player base or something like that. And the complaint that most people have about Ishtars and VNIs is not that they make a lot of ISK on their own, it's their scalability. And so, of course, necessarily, with something which scales infinitely virtually, you're going to have a huge chunk of the player base doing it, albeit consolidated into a few individuals. Sorry to interrupt you, Jim. Go ahead. Yeah, it's. Um, I think a lot of the problem about it uh, from the player perspective was that you could make the argument very reasonably from CCP's perspective that you know, PvE right now is too strong with supers, it's too strong with carriers, and they nerf it. People are kind of willing to accept that to a degree. You know, it is pretty good. Um, the pro, you know, and it it is a, it is like at the keyboard ratting though, so that's kind of nice. It's nice having some form of ratting that is actually like I wouldn't say entertaining to do because. Let's be frank here, ratting and Eve is like fucking. It's not fun. It's boring. It's repetitive and sucks. But, you know, at least you have to. At least you actually do stuff and it's kind of interesting. The problem was that people felt like the changes themselves um, weren't going to change that much in terms of, like, actual ratting and were just going to hurt those ca the carriers and supercarriers in PvP. Um, which people don't feel like they need to be done. Like they feel like this was a very inelegant nerf. It didn't really touch what it was intending to do, and it just like casually sideswiped PvP without that being the primary focus of what they were talking about. It was the secondary focus, sure, but that's not, you know, where those changes are aimed. And interestingly, after CCP eventually recanted and rolled it back, they specifically took out or excuse me, they took out the change that was specifically targeted to PvE which was the increased aggression on fighters and drones and kept a instead of 20% damage reduction 10% damage reduction 
And then they also came in with, well, they're a little too strong in PvP as well. So I'm not sure quite what to make of that. Um, I, you know, cheers to CCP for being willing to reevaluate their position, but the reevaluation that they took is is strange, considering the change to aggression on the drones would have actually helped with the PVE situation. Wasn't there also a uh, that they're looking at the respawn timers, if you will, on anomalies, like how quickly anomalies regenerate? Such that, like, you can't just change sanctums or something like that? Is that not part of the updated post? Well, I think they said they were looking into it. I don't think there's any commitment to actually do it. Ah, uh, I see. It would be interesting if they did. Um, I'm still of the opinion, and I'll keep seeing it to the moon, that, like, there needs to be more rats that warp, disrupt, and scram and those things. Like, put some NPC hicks, basically, in those uh, in those exactly. sites, so that if you're ratting, there's a considerable chance that you're there's a window at which you could be caught. Right like, now, you know, even with the carriers, it's very idea. difficult to catch them because they just they can do it aligned. There's no trade-off for that. That's actually kind of interesting. Like, I I I feel like the NSA should potentially like let you not warp and have a short cycle time. And not have the evil penalty, but I, I've got some problems with the NSA in general. I feel like it's a very weird module that carriers didn't overly need. I feel like they could have just increased the, the base lock range of the carrier. It would have been well, fine. It was, for what they it was for space superiority fighters, right? It was so that they could have this fighter battle, if you will, between carriers trying to kill other fighters and such, so that they could lock them up quick enough. Yeah. That was the main sticking point that I saw. And then if you remove the EWAR uh, penalty to it, rest in peace, gate camps everywhere. Like, true, true. carriers online would come true if it isn't already. Yeah, but we already see them used like pretty heavily in gate camps because they can instant lock. Like, you just have a scepter there and then you just nuke stuff with fighters. It's pretty dumb. Yeah, the station camps got me a couple times and made me very angry. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but, like, Real talk, you know, we know that they have capital escalations in wormholes. We know they at least have some form of attack. Would it would be pretty kind of it'd be kind of interesting if like whenever you walked your super to a site, the fucking Sancha brought a hick. They brought like a fiend on you. It was yeah. Like, you know, maybe, yeah, sure. You have to like you can kill it, but it's gonna take you a while. I don't know. Maybe that is a good way to nerf the book. Well, I just yeah. one hick. Why not two or three, or one with every wave? Yeah, I think that's an interesting idea. It's something that I would um, I will actually probably talk to CCP about that. But I think they probably already thought of it. I would expect that they had. It's just a matter of time and effort, and um, you know, how much does it cost them in terms of resources to do that versus uh, anything else? Which I think is a problem here. Like. Sure, uh, but there's also you got to think a bit about like what was what is the better choice for the game, considering how potent dreads are. You know, I don't think hitting carriers is really the in PvP terms. I don't think that's really necessary. You're just making the dread even more the go-to that it already is. It's a risk-reward question. The reward is is that they feel that the reward is too high, but it's also I think that the risk is too low. You've got this very expensive ship 
but it's always very safe, or at least it's it's difficult not to be safe. Even if you do happen to be caught, you know, you can always drop a sino and bring other folks in. Even catching them is hard. That's, that's not that's not a huge problem. I have zero problems with people like having. Oh, I have no problem with that either. I'm just stuff. saying, like all of these elements are contributing to the situation. Um, the fact that they can fight aligned with no penalty. Um, yeah, that's a big one. Local as an intel source has always been an issue, uh, and then that they can't really get stuck where they're at. Combined with even if they do get stuck, there's easy help. If they're getting caught more often, people will be able to come help them less, or at least in smaller numbers, for jump fatigue if no other reason. Um, and in practice, probably people would be just super annoyed and having to save ratting carriers all the fucking time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as for the VNI and the Ishtar, I think there's a really simple and elegant solution to them, which is remove passive and aggressive states for drones and just put them all in passive. And that's pretty much that issue solved. Stealth I nerf not... to or buff to jams, rather? Yeah, I don't think that would ever happen, purely because I think CCP sort of likes the, likes the aggressive thing as a pseudo-counter to ECM. Um, it's really I... not, though. Unless the ECM person is the first person to jam you. Like It's not like you can reassign them when they're in aggressive mode to which person is aggressing you. It just goes on one person. It's not that great of an anti-ECM mechanic. And if you if they're already jamming you before you pop them, then they don't even go aggress the person anyway. Yeah. yeah. It's not a very strong counter to ECM. It would fix the AFK ratting situation. Yeah, someone uh someone on the CSM likened it to legalized botting before, which I think is a sort of apt thing, a sort of apt way of describing it. But yeah, like, yeah, it's not far uh, off. Something someone uh, said to me was, so something someone asked asked me I could, if I could ask CCP is, um, you know, would it be possible to delay local whilst you're in, say, your gate cloak, so that you can have a little more time? You don't it's have like to just one minute of descanning. That's a, oh, actually, a surprisingly interesting change. Like not horrible. Yeah, I, I sort of liked it, but I wanna. I, I that's like the kind of change where you have to like really work on your justification before you bring it to CCP because you don't want to fuck it up for anyone else. And it seems like that more than anything would require pretty substantial rewrite of how oh, yeah, the yeah. server works and like interaction with server and local. Yeah, I'm not one of those remove all local in Nullsec people because I I. Don't like wormholes. I like being able to know if there is a fleet in my system. That is these good information. Yeah, but that's. I, I mean, have you seen these hundred and four plus like MWD? Uh, sorry, hundred and four plus AU systems. Like, how the fuck are you supposed to find people in there? You add a new structure that sovereignty owners can deploy, which allows them to do a system wide scan with some limited combat probing. I've been waiting for plug for the observation that raised that you always ask about. <laughs> I would I would love it. Yeah, well. I do want a goddamn... I want the observation arrays. I want the observation arrays to do that thing, and I want them to somehow network with each other across systems so you can build, like, an information spy networky thing. It would be so fucking awesome. It'd be such a great thing to, like, attack and disrupt as a small gang. Uh, 
Like, let's get some info about this shit. Enough about refineries. Don't care. Observation arrays. Let's go. And other things which don't matter to Alec, but matter to the rest of you, CCP responds to the Summer of Rage. <laughs> well, we didn't even talk about the ghost training in the Citadels yet. Oh, fair point. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, the ghost tough. training, if you haven't been following the situation, basically, if you're in Omega and you let your account lapse, it will continue to train as an Omega all the way down to your skill queue. So, essentially, it allows you to get infinite skill points, or as pretty much infinite skill points, and then you can, of course, extract those skill points with skill point extractors and sell them on the market, uh, basically allowing you to farm tens if not hundreds of billions of isk that you should not be able to do because of this exploit it was a very 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 serious bug and ccp was aware of it for a very long time and did not address it and finally it just uh i'm not exactly sure whether it was the super carrier things or whether there was another story that came just after but ghost training came back with a vengeance in the eve cultural consciousness and, man, people were very pissed and very confused about what was actually happening, as it turned out. I had some people say saying that? that, like, that it was creating hundreds of billions of ISK. It's not, you know, it's payers playing payers. So, if anything, it's an ISK sink and a skill point sink. But the skill point shouldn't exist. Uh, extractors, injectors, etc. are an overall skill point sink. And the ISK is just traded between players. There's no ISK being generated out of nowhere, which doesn't make it surprised. okay. Just explaining the issue. I was surprised at the lack of tinfoil hattery going around like, oh, uh, these extractors obviously come from the New Eden store, therefore CCP will leave ghost training because it means eventually when the accounts do have to be plexed to pull out that ISK in the form of SP. They Did you say lack of tinfoil hattery? That was like every yeah. other post. Was that every... I didn't see yes. it as often as I expected. That was the main justification people gave for why CCP hadn't done anything about it and wouldn't do anything about it. Ah. Because they were able to make money off extractors and injectors. Which is... I mean... I'm going to doubt it. <laughs> Yeah, Plex would certainly I, I think the much a... more likely thing is they ignored it because they didn't have time and didn't have people to, to go fix it. And that's probably why it's still not getting done now and they've just decredited an exploit instead of patching it out. Now, why that wasn't being prioritized versus other things when it was distorting the EVE economy to that degree, I'm not sure. And I think that is an explanation that we need to hear. But I, I, I wouldn't ascribe some sort of malicious motivation to them of why they're, you know, disrupting the skill point and monetary balance of their game. That, that doesn't seem to make sense. But I do hope that we get some comment as to why it was left for as long as it was. You mentioned earlier that you were a bit confused about what sparked the outrage to bring Go's training back to the forefront of the community's mind. And I think specifically the was, timing part. I mean, I understand yeah, why it it's outrageous. The distribution of the enforcers and pacifiers, the new Concord recon ships and covert ops frigates, which those who were exploiting Ghost training had many, many accounts registered with a single email address, and the way that CCP distributed these prizes for. Uh, attending FanFest and buying your ticket early, if I recall correctly, 
was to each uh, account registered to a single email, which meant that anybody who had a bunch of ghost trainers, for example, got hundreds and hundreds of these new ships, which were quite expensive as they first came out. Yeah, and the, the things properly dropped because they were so common. Yeah, uh, I think CCP really wanted to avoid the stereotype of pay-to-win with EVE, like exclusive ships for those who can afford to fly out to Iceland and go to FanFest, etc. And for that reason, every single time these new ships come up, they're always like, oh yeah, they'll become prolific in the future, they will be introduced with other things, stuff like that. And I think that their move to distribute it via every account on the email was one to try and reinforce that to avoid whoever got the ships first because they went to FanFest getting some significant ISK advantage. But uh, it backfired on them, frankly. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, they, when they did correct it, um, they so there were two corrections to the I'm not going to call it Summer of Rage because that's an insult to the actual Summer of Rage where we had real problems. Um, the Summer of Annoyance and Whining that the carrier thing was going to get rolled back uh, quite a bit and that ghost training was in fact an exploit, which I don't know why you, someone needed to tell you that. <laughs> it's pretty clearly it was. Uh, but they clarified that yes, it is in fact an exploit uh, they are going to be taking action against those that were abusing it. Part of that action will be nuking the ISK that they got off of it. I don't think they can nuke the skill points because regular players have already injected it. Um, but they will also be uh, yoinking all the ships from them as well. Which seems to hit all the points that people were asking about. It's a real shame that it took a Reddit thread to get that done instead of, you know... People actually just talking a, about it. A Reddit and thread? A Reddit thread? <laughs> Reddit threads. Many Reddit threads. The whole but front page of Reddit. The ghost training thing in particular, like that was a, it was brought up, I believe, uh, off of test server testing that was first reported. And it, it definitely made the rounds in the EVE community for a while, and then it just sort of fell off. And I guess... People were surprised it hadn't been dealt with yet. And Yin, I guess, as a CSM, this would sort of fall under your area. Um, what's the deal? Why wasn't this a bigger priority in communication-wise for CCP? And why was it left to sit for so long despite it being really bad? Um well, CCP did attempt to fix it a couple of times, uh, as you saw with the paused skill queue uh, issue, which was also during that time frame. That was their first official accepting that ghost training did exist, uh, but we were pushing. We, uh, the CSM, knew about this exploit since about FanFest. Um, we were pushing for it to be uh, declared an exploit since then. But um, What about pushing it to get it patched? I mean, you know, people attempted to patch it. That's that's not something you can hurry up. We aren't actual developers. We can't just, like... You know, we don't have an understanding of EVE at a deep enough level to be like, why isn't this fixed? Surely this is just simple TM. That's kind of a dick move. Um, 
No, but you know, it is a yeah, an issue like which you could continue to put pressure on them to address or uh, make be more transparent with the community about steps they were taking to address it successful or not. Yeah, unfortunately I don't know how much I can really say on the topic, which is kind of the main problem. I do feel like the CSM uh, dropped the ball on this one. Or at least, you know, I personally feel like we didn't do uh, as well as we could have to address ghost training, like to really push it as a thing, and that was to uh, push it to not get solved because that's not something I think is on us, like in the short term. But what our short term was, it's kind of like the, uh, if you remember ECM bursts, when people were using ECM bursts to aggress, uh, keep people aggressed on Fortazars so that they couldn't log off. Mm -hmm. That was something that we basically just immediately pushed CCP, like, this is a bug now, get this declared and exploit as soon as possible. And it was declared within 24 hours. And we'd hoped to get ghost training done in the same way, but, um, yeah. Didn't happen. Oh, it's um, unfair that you're being honest about it. You know, it's something we're just going to have to learn from um, in terms of, like, when CCP says something is fixed and, you know, there was a kind of a weird circumstance where CCP would, like, say, oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be fixed on Wednesday. Um... Or, you know, we have a fix that is going out on Wednesday, and then we're like, okay, that's cool. Wait for Wednesday. And then on Friday, we, like, talk to people who we know are ghost training, and we're like, so is ghost training still working? And they're like, I don't know. Uh, I'll have to tell you in, like, a couple of days. They'll tell us, and we're like, okay, cool. Because it's not like ghost trainers were just, like, trying to keep this quiet. No, a couple of ghost thing. trainers were extremely vocal about it, and to the extent that they were doing it. Yeah. Very, they were just like, yeah, this is a problem, but hey, if it's a problem, I'm still going to use it, which I think is a bad attitude to have. Like, I, I feel like that isn't a justification for doing what they did in terms of like fucking the entire SP economy of the game. No, um, absolutely isn't. And I, not, I hope that CSP is holding them accountable for what they've done. It's not a good thing, but it's an Eve thing, right? Like, it didn't surprise me that the people who were posting about this were like, yeah, it's a problem, this is terrible for the game, and we are abusing it out the wazoo. Like, that is just the thing that EVE players and the EVE community does. And to a certain extent, I'm going out on a limb here, but CCP's committal to post-hoc punitive measures, right? They're going back and taking people's actions prior to it being declared an exploit and saying, okay, this is a problem, we're punishing you for it. I understand why they did it, but it still leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Like, when all of the other exploits were declared, it wasn't, at least to my knowledge, the sort of thing where if somebody was pause bowling with titans, they didn't take away the isk they got from selling the loot. Or if somebody was doing whatever with the ECM burst, assisting drones or abandoning drones, picking them up in Tristan's, things like that, like... Correct me if I'm wrong, but there were never post-talk punitive measures for those. Um, uh, well, I don't know if there were or weren't, there are, there but... There have been tons Sorry, good, of yeah. exploits where CCP has done that. I think uh, probably the most public example is uh, the 4X, 
uh, exploit. Uh, Could you mode. elaborate? What is that? Could have been before uh, my time. Basically, what uh, during the start of uh, the Inferno revamp of faction warfare, um, there was a new system wherein you could uh, how to put this. Um, basically, what you'd be able to do is God, it, it's actually really, really difficult to explain. Cause it's quite Are you talking about the the thing with the items? Uh, the thing with the items and LP. Yeah. Yeah. Like so there's a faction warfare feature where if you kill people in the opposing faction you get some loyalty points for doing so. The more you get based on the higher rank that person is. And it's, it was at the time, I'm not sure how it works now, but it was based on the value of the kill. So what these guys would do is uh, they would get an item that didn't have very high volume and they would game the market on that particular item such that it was vastly overvalued from what it normally would be and then they would have um they would have a, a ship to get killed with it over and over and over and over again and then farm lp in ridiculously high amounts based on that essentially fake accounting well and then even after that they found out a way to do the exact same thing with um just freighters full of minerals because uh, insurance wasn't taken out of the payout it was just like hilariously abused for like a month and a half and people made like trillions out of it and uh they got completely negwalted for everything so it's, and uh, it's, um... i'm not sure if this was a hundred percent but um when one. there was the issue where you could create tech two reactions out of nothing i forget what the exact reaction was but you probably remember um I don't know if they got the their wallet zapped for that, but I know bans were issued for it. Yeah, in that case, bans were issued and all um, duplicated stuff was removed. Um, there was also like, like Firmic something or others, Firmic plates or something. This is really weird. But um, what was the other one? The other another great example for that would be the uh, negative uh, going below a hundred percent tracking uh, for. Sorry, uh, below zero percent tracking for in You're talking a magnetar. the infinite gun wormhole problem. Yes, that's the one. Uh, that was uh, all gains made from PvE from that when they wafted. So it seems the general rule of thumb is if there is some sort of injection of wealth into the EVE economy, they'll do retroactive punishment. But if there isn't, like it's just people abusing mechanics to get kills or something, then yeah. no retroactive punishment. Well, they they still may retroactively ban you. I guess it's how severe it was. Like if you're possibling people, okay, it's kind of trolly, but it's not like disrupt destroying like the entire game economy in some way. Uh, in this case, you know, it was people that were clearly. Um, oh, and and you could even look at uh, like I one isk and and the the banker folks. You know, they got sort well, of retroactively punished for a policy change. Supposedly. Hmm? It's worth noting that people who got um, ISK from I want ISK, uh, like some notable examples, uh, Killer B got negwalted a ton of their ISK after I want ISK was banned. Because it was determined to be quote-unquote dirty ISK. 
Yeah, like that was the the bans and things were not because of the policy change. It was because of RMT, and it just all kicked off at the same point. Okay. Well, the the still the the dirty isk concept, whether it's dirty from RMT or dirty from exploiting, you know they they're pretty good about knocking that out. But if you just drop Gila drones and pick them up on another ship for a kill, like. It, probably not going to get banned for that unless that's something you're doing every fucking day in which case maybe you will even um i think i think some people got neglected from the rattlesnake exploit where you could uh drop sentries abandon sentries reconnect uh scoop sentries drop sentries and you could just repeat this and you'd have an infinite damage loop because you'd be taking um your rattlesnake bonus sentries Oh, over um, and over again. And, and then you'd be applying the rattlesnake bonus to it again, and you just like there was a <laughs> there was a great sh- uh, great thing someone did where they one shot a uh, pause into reinforced <laughs> with one with one rattlesnake. Just to that's insane. Them. And I was like, that's pretty poor. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of dumb. There's a lot of dumb glitches in the Eve. I think people got neglected for using that in PVE, um, but don't quote me on that. Yeah. And the other, um, of course, you know, this this wouldn't be enough. This is like the Occupy Wall Street equivalent of Eve complaining. Wasn't enough about the carrier nerf. Wasn't enough about ghost training. But of course, Citadels, Jump Fatigue, and Aegisov also got thrown into the mix. Because why not? While everyone else is whining, why not whine about your thing? To be fair, fuck Aegisov, though. Well, I find it really ironic that the same people that say fuck Aegisov are some of the exact same people who are saying, oh my god, I can't believe we have to grind through all these citadels. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, you want to go back to Dominion, but no, citadels no, bother you? grinding the, the stuff. Not That's you specifically, but I'm talking about Reddit posters. I don't know. I, I feel like the, the main problem with it is, like, the TZ tanking. Like, the way I'd like to frame how citadels work right now is that if you want to kill a citadel um, that's being placed in your space, you have to have a fleet that is capable, that is like significantly better than any reaction fleet your opponents can bring in every single time zone. That's like fucking insane and like well, unacceptable. Can... Well, I mean, until CCP changes it, if you are in need of such a service, Mercenary Coalition is at your whim for the right price. Shilling. <laughs> Fair enough. And you guys do actually have a pretty decent AU time zone from what I know? We have a pretty decent every time zone but Russian time zone simply due to language barriers. But our AUTZ dudes are on the ball for staying up late and our EUTZ dudes are pretty hardcore to get quickly home from work if we really need to be on a Russian time zone. But yeah, you know, lots of complaints. And I think that, you know, a more general thing is that people feel like there hasn't been any kind of positive changes to Eve in a while. There hasn't been anything new other than Citadels, especially seeing as the Citadels that are coming right now, which are refineries, as something that most people won't really ever use. Mm, I feel like I feel like the issue isn't that they won't ever use it. It's that we, they, CCP put out the refinery module already, and they're redoing things, or if I, excuse me, the way I imagine I would have done it would be to not put the refinery module out and save that for the actual refinery platform. Because now people are like, 
Oh, would they already refine things? Why do we need a whole other one? This is not really a new feature. Well, they also do moon mining and shit, but yeah. Well, that's the part that a lot of people aren't going to touch. But, yeah. I mean, the new moon mining is, is pretty cool. It addresses something that people have complained a lot about even. That, you know, moon mining is super passive, unassailable income. And now it is not passive, and it's very assailable. So, like, I'm sorry that CCP is not listening to you in the order you would prefer them to listen to you, but it's not like they're not listening to the player base. Mm-hmm. I do think that the there needs to be some tweaks to how Citadels are attacked, but I am sympathetic that they need to keep Citadels attractive compared to Outposts and Poss until Outposts and Poss are removed from the game. Oh, in which case... Yeah. Like, already, as far as defenses are concerned, comparing citadels to pauses and such, even if you make citadels completely vulnerable 24-7 for all three timers, like, it's not... They're still much better than pauses. Granted, there's the difference that you have to be there. You can't just leave the pause on a whim to do its own thing. But if you were doing that with your pause anyway, it didn't really do a good job at it. So, as far as defense is concerned, at least against capital ships... Citadels are far and away better than pauses, and future parity, they're getting there. They're very close, in my opinion, for what 99% of EVE player base will utilize them for. But the the time zone taking is the huge issue. I remember when Citadels were first coming out, I made quite a few angry posts on Reddit about, are you seriously, I can only shoot at this structure in space for three hours in an entire week. There's no way trying to do anything anywhere, like any small organization could possibly do that, especially like wormhole space was a particular thing on my mind at the time. And everybody's like, well, yeah, but the people owning the structure also can't know life it to protect it all the time. And I'm glad to see that they are eating crow now. Just a little bit of smug. Well, this is because they're trying to fill the post role and the outpost role. You can already time zone tank outposts. In fact, it was a big issue with Dominion Solve in the fucking first place. So that's it's not a new problem. And people are like, oh, Dominion Solve is so good. Age of Solve sucks. We need to go back to Dominion so we can have the exact same problems we have now with Citadels, except that it's the entire Solve system instead of part of the Solve system. I'm gonna not even really part of the Solve system. It's like a side to Solve system. Yeah, well, in terms of like the solve system, I don't think the problems are the same, but I think they're more to do with kind of how uh, Aegis Solve is developed. In terms of like the optimal strategy in Aegis Solve is to basically just not fight. Like a lot of your power comes from having fleets in being and kind of it, it, it's more like a chess game than an actual space shooter. Like you'll typically have a large battleship fleet sitting on Titan, and that's, you know, that fleet will almost never drop, almost never drop. Um, you know, the vast majority of people who are getting work work done are, like, your, your 150-man Scepter Gang and a couple of dudes who are running around in, hundred, you know, 500mn uh, rapiers, desperately trying to avoid getting nuked by enemy Interceptor squads. Uh, and that's just because of the fact that Aegis Sov relies on three or four points of failure 
uh, to get a timer done, whereas Dominion relied on your fleet as a single point of failure, which meant that you know you were encouraged to attack a fleet as opposed to attack individual people, which so, leads to less skirmishy behavior. A possible, like, when they made the announcement that the Entosis would make it so you couldn't receive remote assistance, the, the theory behind this was it would mean that you'd have to fight for the grid because you had to control the grid in order to Entosis. It sounds like the complaint now is you don't have to control the grid at all to Entosis because it's just this one rapier dude desperately trying to stay alive against interceptors. If you could have instead him getting repped by someone, then perhaps now you need a fleet to take their fleet off of this node. But then you get into the big stalemates which you had, or people complained about having in the minion saw, which I never personally experienced. So... I'm a bit I mean, confused about the complaints seem to be complaints about solutions to previous problems that were complained about. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, like my personal suggestion um, seeing as it doesn't seem like nullification is going to be addressed, which I think is another key issue. Um, but, you know, I've disagreed with Artemis over that many a time and yourself as well, Alexia, many a time. Um, I believe one of the one of the easiest solutions would be to make Intosis uh, not a thing and have nodes be damage cap structures. Um, but I think we're going to have to wait and see what happens after stations are removed. Um, because after stations are removed, you're removing one third of the timers from Aegis Sob. And I am going to like fight my heart out to have the TCU just wrapped into the iHub as well. Um, because that would mean that there's only, you know, one timer per system, well, yeah, one timer per system at a time. You've still got the same amount of timers, it's just that, you know, it's, you're dealing with a third of the nodes that you previously would have, and I think that's a little more healthy. Um, but I'd have to see. Yeah, could do. Um, I, I think I you still need to control the grid. It's just now controlling the grid. Like, people are, are, very happy to have their Intosa ships run away instead of configuring them to stay and fight. I think that's a player decision more than anything else. Yeah, well, in, in the current way Aegis Sob is set up, you kind of, you have to be able to, like, there are so many points that you have to control that it's not possible for you to have a fleet on every single point unless you have, like, MTACO levels of people, and I, that means, like, three or four thousand people. Uh, you know, if you have a, a 200 man battleship fleet, you have enough people to control like a forward system constellation. You just take them out of the fucking battleships, get them off the Titan, and have them play Eve instead of sitting around waiting for you to play Eve for them. If you have like 12. Okay, so that's A, assuming that you have four FCs and four backup FCs for those sub fleets. Get good, bro. <laughs> Eight this, FCs right, is not this, hard this, for an alliance. It, it shouldn't be. It's really hard, dude. Have you ever, like, Unironic. Yes, I, I have. Have, have I ever? Yeah. I can. I. I wouldn't I say. I have it's eight easy, FCs in every time zone in war except for Australia. Because Aegis Sov is like eight. Like Aegis Sov burnt out like at least six or seven FCs that I know of. It's uh, and that's that's the same for any war. Any war will burn out FCs, but like we do not have a very high like level of FCs in the game, and we it's... burn through them fairly regularly. In fact, like I ran the stats on this. I watched and saw like, okay, how many how many FCs do we lose on average? Like 
to attrition just over time, it's pretty high because people don't like FCing. The vast well, majority of people who play this game don't FC. This is not like a real company in real life where you can just say, you're the leader of a group now. You've got to wait for someone to actually step up and say, I wish to lead. And that's very rare. People don't naturally do that. People aren't naturally inclined to want to lead. I think it's uh, rare, but it's not as rare as you're making it out to be. Like, MC, granted, we have a bit of a different player base than Pravi, for instance, but even within our 530-dude alliance, we've got, like Alec was talking about, numerous FCs for every time zone. And a lot of that is because we have in the past and continue to attempt to put a lot of effort into training up and encouraging new FCs. So I would say perhaps you should take a look at the organization and your FC structure if you are particularly lacking for them, and the burnout that you see could just be the result of playing EVE in such a hardcore manner, not necessarily the AIDS that is Aegis of. Uh, that was people outside of CBA, by the way, that I was talking about. Twi- Twitch chat would like to see your math on that, Jim. Like, um, in terms of like my math on how many FCs we lose, um, we I, I I did trend analysis for a while on this just to like try and get some real rough numbers, and it turns out that roughly 50, roughly fifty percent of people who will post a fleet for the first time will never post another fleet. That's not a burnout issue. That's a that's a people not wanting to FC because they try it and they're like, okay, this gameplay isn't for me. Yeah, so that's that's a retention issue of the people that regularly post fleets. Like, talk to me about the people sure. that have posted three fleets in the past month, and then after an Aegis solve conflict, no longer post a fleet for the next three months. Now that's burnout. That's burnout, but sure, I I don't have numbers on that because TV hasn't really gone through that. We went through like one month of random bullshit against goons that wasn't particularly serious. Um, it, like, I'm not saying Aegis solve is the problem here. I'm saying that Aegis solve accentuates problems that we've already had in the game where leadership you're increasing the leadership burden on alliances specifically small alliances as well or casual alliances and that's not good for the game i think it's good for the game if alliances step up for it if you build your alliance like mc has like nar did as a corporation if you build your corp up around leadership training it encouraging it that kind of stuff, looking for leaders to recruit, you can build an FC core, and an Aegisov gives the alliances and corporations that are doing that an edge over those that are not. Now, I mean, there's there's numbers issue as well, but all things being equal, if you're taking the time to develop an FC core, you're going to be better off. Having more FCs, in general, I would say means more content for the game, because you get more people leading fleets. More people leading fleets, more fights. But I don't think MC is a good example to use in terms of, like, self-holding alliances, because you guys, yeah, you hold some sovereign and all, but you aren't, that's not your main identity as a co- as an alliance, as an yeah, entity. Yeah, certainly so, but I would then bring up the counterpoint of Goonswarm. Uh, like, I've never been a member, all I have are third-hand things, but they have a quite robust FC training program, as I understand it, and They also have, like... 30 fucking thousand people like the yeah, law of large numbers is they will have more scale FCs it down and you'll still have quite a few fcs 
like the numbers that MC has as of FCs as a proportion to uh, members in the alliance, like real human beings, is quite high, I think. But sure. if you have the thirty five hundred man alliance, it's typical, so roughly like six hundred, seven hundred individual players, depending on how many VNI ratting alts there are, um, and then couple that with coalitions, which pop up very often in Aegis Solve, like, you'll... I don't see how it would be an issue to cobble together eight FCs in the time zone which you choose to put your stuff in, unless you're sol- or unless you're time zone tanking, in which case, it serves you right for losing this Solve battle. Like... <laughs> I, I don't realistically... I don't realistically think that um, Proviblock could field more than eight, more than eight FCs on a good day. You're, are you? But why do you think like that CCP's problem to solve and not your I'm, problem yeah, I'm to solve? Strictly strat, strat FCs, sure. But I'm, I'm talking like FCs that I would reasonably expect to do well in a high pressure situation. But yeah, why is that CCP's problem to design around instead of your problem to recruit and train around? Sure, but that's the same reason. You could, you could make that argument for Dominion. Like, why don't you just build more supers? Like, that's not CCP's problem to design around. That's People did, and it was awful. <laughs> yeah, it was. And I'm saying that the same thing I, I, is building, is building supers and increasing super capital proliferation, I don't think it's the same issue in terms of damage to the game as FC proliferation, which, if anything, would be great for the game. Sure, but I'm saying there is a limited, num- there is a limited amount of leadership that can possi- that, that is going to exist in the game. And... Whilst I don't think we're close to exhausting it right now, I think it is doing the opposite of what Aegis Solve was originally intended to do, which is to encourage small alliances um, to own space. If you have to have eight FCs, what? How can a small alliance like take stuff? That's not. You don't need to have eight FCs to do it. That's the thing. You need like two. Okay, I've done so it with two. Sure. Fair enough. But if but you like... can't. If you can't have your, like, a, a FC coordinating your Intosis guys, and then an FC coordinating your main fleet, maybe a third guy coordinating a rapid response fleet somewhere else, then yeah, your alliance probably doesn't about. need space if you can't field three FCs in a single, in your best time zone. But that wasn't That's bad. Here, like, you should probably be in low sec working on that before you go out to null. And there are yeah, plenty of alliances in EVE that can do that. So it's not like it's an unbelievably hard thing. But that's not what you were talking about. We were talking about, like, can you hold four different grids? Um, because that's what Intosis was supposed to be. And, well, you're think... sa- and you, what you're saying now is that actually you just need to hold one grid and then have two other people doing random bullshit. To well, that was the, the design enemy. of Aegisub, right? It's that you could take advantage of Constellation Geography to, if you needed to control a single grid, you can control choke points. And the problem that popped up was Intosis things die really well to a crap ton of interceptors, so interceptors just go past any choke point you put up. Hmm. And that's why I have a problem with nullification. Um... Or at least nullification in combined with the ability to do instant application damage. But if we're on the subject and we're willing to move past the summer of obnoxious whining, we could talk about nullification in more detail in a slightly different way. I think we've already beat that to death. 
Uh, basically, I'm I'm fine with Yin's assertion of the instant application damage. I think one potentially useful change, it could even be a roll bonus. They just can't fit the long-range version of their guns. Like, you can't fit artillery, rail guns, and beam lasers. And then maybe you keep crows the same. I don't know how you feel about that, but we you could even do the crow. As much as I would hate to kill a crow like that, and probably would kill it, uh, you could just have it fit rockets. And then at that point, the situation's probably done because the chances that they're going to land within range are pretty shit. So they're going to have to burn to the target, which means you're going to get a chance to shoot them. I mean, I was just trying to make a nice transition to the T3 rebalance, but okay. Yeah, I, I, we, we, we can beat Aegis soft to death another time. Like, I know we have very differing opinions on that because I'm, I'm obviously involved in a much more... I'd say casual organization than you two have your backgrounds in. I mean, I'm not saying it just was perfect. I'm just saying that it's it's far from totally broken. It's it, it's a zillion times better than Dominion Sov. I cringe every time someone holds that up as like the ideal to go back to, and it it blows me away that folks on Reddit, which seem to be now like the face of the Eve community now for some fucking reason can go, yeah, Aegisov is horrible. We need Dominion Sov. Also, Citadels are really bad because you have to grind through them and you have to time and tank them. And that's yeah. the exact problems that... And there's like all sorts of weird like timer exploit... Not exploit, but like timer issues where you can flip things and have them be up for longer than they should and vice versa. Same problem we have with SBUs. Like... In other words, these people will never be happy, and they can't even realize it, and no one's calling them out on their shit, so I'm calling them out on their shit, which is you are in a dreamland if you think that citadels are a problem and that Eve needs to go back to Dominion Sov. Like, uh, I, you're so detached from reality that I don't even know how to help you. <laughs> uh, Does Aegis Sov need some fixing? Sure. Could we... You know, get away with dropping wands for like some sort of proximity time capture thing, like faction warfare. If you wanted to do that, fine, whatever. But the idea that Sav should be contested at more than one point, at least at some phase of it, and that those contests should not be around how many people can we bring in super capitals and should instead be around let's just control the thing, whatever, whatever control happens to mean. Uh, I think those are pretty good because hit point grinds, as people are learning, are not very fun. Uh, we used to know that as a player base, and then they took Dominion Solve away, and people forgot. And the folks that remembered Dominion Solve said, hey, Citadels look a lot like the problems we have with Dominion Solve. And CCP was like, but these guys really want to shoot something. That's all they post about on Reddit. And then the guy's like, yeah, we really want to shoot something. That's all we're posting about. Just give us that. Well, they gave it to you. And, oh, you've just remembered that it sucked. So I don't really have a lot of sympathy for you, unfortunately. Yeah, well, at least uh, at least it's not the, the fucking weird bastards who are, like, bring back Pulsar. Oh, God. <laughs> Imagine Pulsar, but with Citadels instead. Whoever anchors the most to. Citadels. No, 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 not <laughs> It's the natural don't, don't progression you, of this idiocy. Don't you put that evil on me, boy. <laughs> Not thinking about it. <laughs> because there's no... Up. You don't have to anchor them on moons. You can literally put as many as you want in the system. 
That'd be uh, great. At least you at least that would actually give a reason for keep stars to exist, I guess then. Because like the old the old pod system used to be like larges counted, then mediums, then smalls. Yeah, so what you'd have is um you could probably do the same thing. So keep stars would like count for three and forts could count for two and so on and so forth. And you could just have goons put uh, I don't know. If you'd have to probably have to math it out, but several hundred thousand keep stars in a single system so no one could ever take it from them. Well, the problem I'd... is, like, it's already the case, even though they're not tied to solve, killing a keep star is a massive pain. And... An online keep star. Yeah, an online keep star. I should apologize. That is a very important distinction. But spamming a bunch of keep stars everywhere is just as valid, I think, even without tying the solve system directly into it. I mean, you basically have to kill the people. Like, you have to kill their morale, their want to stay and defend the space before you kill the actual structure itself. It is just that oppressive. Oh, is is, is that a a little birdie I hear trying to say that Citadel deployment should be tied to Sob somehow so you can't do that? Oh, dear. <laughs> Oh my, what do we have here? Oh my god, can, can we move on? Let's, let's, we could save this for another episode. This is like a bunch of me and you. Argue. We could probably argue about everything in this podcast for like at least four or five hours. Yeah, probably. So let's just move on to T3Cs, which are yay, something. Yay! I'm I think something else we can disagree, disagree about. Yeah. Oh, probably not, right? I mean, are I we all, we're all on board with these, right? Balanced. We're happy in the ideas around which the concepts of their rebalance we're happy with. It's just the details of the balance I think we would have disagreements over. Like how incredible... Like uh, the stat, the kind of base first-pass stats are out there, by the way, for people who want to see it. Um, they should be coming to Pypha at some point, TM, so that you can, like, fucking nerd out about it, which is great. Yeah, the uh, TLDR of the stats, they're really fantastic, um, the concepts of them at least. So what we heard previously about we're dumbing down the subsystem, as in removing needless complexity, various subsystems are being combined into you have four options and then three subsystems per option, per group, correct me if I'm wrong. And yes. each of these options, like, you combine them together like typical T3s, but they get a balance pass as they do this coalescing of options. And what I really, really like, apart from the fact that remote reps actually have range now on T3s, is the way that they are giving them strength through overheating as opposed to just base stats. Like a lot of the buff, a lot of the bonuses you have on these ships to begin with, every single ship, the cruiser skill itself is bonus to a reduction in heat um, heat damage and a reduction in the time it takes to repair it with nanite, which I think is a fantastic off the wall bonus, which could have crazy implications. But then within the subsystem bonuses, as per the subsystem skill level, many of them have a benefit to the effectiveness of overheating. So instead of getting a 20% bonus to the armor repair amount, you get a 50% bonus, say. And I think that gives you... It raises the skill ceiling for these ships. And I am really happy whenever that happens. It, it doesn't necessarily raise the complexity, right? We're lowering complexity 
raising skill ceiling. I think if they can pull it off with proper stats and balance, it's just going to be amazing. I am extremely psyched for this. Granted, a lot because it's a way which smaller organizations of skilled players can outplay larger organizations with bad players, simply because the way managing heat is something that is not merely an F1 monkey task. Yep. I would like to see a little... I'd like the concept. I would like to see them go even more. Instead of just reducing, like, heat damage amount taken, also maybe a 5% bonus in the same vein to increase the value of heating, of overheating. Oh, no, that's that's exactly what they have. It's like a bonus to the benefits of overheating the things. But it's... And that's per subsystem, but it's not uh, it's not that strong. I think if you're shifting that much of the ship's power into the overheat mechanic, you should make the overheating itself even ah, better. Ah, I see. You want the so you're, down. they're getting slight stuff like uh, let me find it. Ten uh, percent bonus to the benefits of overheating remote armor repairs per level. So a fifty percent bonus. So that but that's only to the bonus, bonus of the total. overheating. So yeah. if overheating like increase the amount by 10%, then you're well, now going to have it be increased by 15. For, you can also heat for a lot, lot longer, though. Sure, but... If you were in a T3C. Like, if you had it be 20%, it would be ridiculous. Would it, though? Yeah. That makes it a 100% bonus to the effectiveness of heating. Uh, can't remember the exact bonuses you get for heating reps, but it is typically around lot. 20% is the rule of thumb that I go by. Yes, that's a 40% increase. And, you know, you can also probably do that for three or four minutes. Okay. That's really strong. That's, like, incredible. Like, if you apply that to Yeah, it is. It is really strong, but it comes at a big risk. You're damaging your modules. You can't keep it up. If you get into an extended fight, it will break if you're not careful about how to manage your heat. If you don't turn it on, you don't get those benefits. Sure, but I think that's. I understand where you're com- where you're coming from there, but that has like greater implications that are not great. Like if someone can say overheat, uh, for example, their shield booster for three or four minutes, uh, that's a shitload of overheated tank, and it's gonna make it just better than any other tanker like any other thing, like, say, a Vagabond in that role, and that's kind of what CCP is attempting to move away from. Well, the, the difference would be the Vagabond has the typical heavy assault cruiser reduction in SIG, and they're they're speedy, right? So they would be... They would tank more not through brute force, but more through mitigation, which I think was the role that CCP wanted for them and we're all pretty happy with. And the base stats, which CCP released for obviously the first pass, but for the ships themselves, are quite different from the current C3s as far as signature radius and agility are concerned. That said, like, dude, the Loki right now is pretty bonkers. <laughs> You can get like nearly 250k EHP and do about the same volley as a Slepnir. That's like pretty fucking absurd. Um, my, my power rankings right now are Loki number one, Legion number two, Tengu number three. Uh, sorry, well, Tengu and Proteus number three. And yeah, the Legion looks really strong. The, uh, 
the command and rep bonus being merged into one subsystem in general is really cool. I think definitely benefits the Legion a lot. And I think the assault optimization subsystem is really attractive. They basically moved the sacrilege missile bonus along with the arbitrator line drone damage bonus, and you can combine that. So basically you can like merge the curse and the sacrilege in a way that you could before, sort of. Um, but, it, I mean, it was good, but it wasn't that good. Now I think with the drone bonus being added into that mix really gives it a nice, not direct power spike, because, of course, you can shoot these down. But, you know, it, it just makes it a little more competitive and thematically is very cool because now it does fully capture those bonuses. And I'm really liking what they did on that subsystem in particular, where they include rapid lights in the bonuses, right? So it is a viable option, which you want in what is supposed to be a flexible platform, but they gave it a a cycle time bonus as opposed to a flat damage bonus. And so you burn through a lot quicker. Yeah, it accentuates the idea that rapid lights are supposed to be front-loaded damage as opposed to over time, which makes them less oppressive but still keeps their power and creates a viable option for the platform. I I really like the way that they're doing that as a bonus option to balance all of the various options you have for missiles. I gotta say, I was actually surprised to not see some form of heat bonus given to uh, you know, these kind of DPF damage subs, but I think I understand why. Why is that? Just because it would be it would be very very strong uh, in especially with rapid lights specifically Ooh, uh, because that of how rapid point. lights function and you can reload or repair them during reload. Yeah, uh, that would have been like, pretty fucking sweet if you could get like a twenty percent extra bonus to your damage or rate of fire with missiles, and then also just rep your shit during heat. That that just sounds disgustingly awesome. And I almost, I almost wish they'd had that in the game so that I could do it and be like, mmm, I'm enjoying the brokenness. <laughs> enjoying the Proteus bonus to uh, drone velocity and tracking speed. That's a nice one to see. Yeah, they seem to be trying to make the drone Proteus actually a thing TM, which is nice. Well, it is mm-hmm. under, like running mazes and such, but... I mean, I used to use one as a heavy tackle boat. It was good fun. We'll take a look at the Tengu stats now. And the Loki, I think you're right, is really pretty bonkers. Stats, but its slot layout is fucking garbage. <laughs> like, um, you, you tend to get like a lot of 7 mids, 3 lows, 8 mids, 2 lows setups if you're doing things that are reasonable. And it's like, oh, that's a bit weird. That's I quite like not, that. Like, it, it plays very much to the way Kaldari is thematically with the rest of their ships, particularly their T2 line. You think Flycatcher, you think Jackdaw, very limited low slots. Uh, it goes a bit off the rails as you get further up in the ship line, but I quite like it. It means they can't get out of control with their damage, but they can still tank and have utility. And you, There are a lot of options for mid-slots, which oftentimes you don't get to take advantage of due to the reliance on a shield tank. But if you have the opportunity to bring them due to extra mid-slots, you can make up for the lack of damage, which is what armor tanks must do. I'm definitely enjoying the change to the obfuscation manifold. As folks that are following the podcast may recall, back when I used to run them in terms of armor cruiser fleets, the ECM Tengu is one of my favorite Tech 3s, period. 
the ECM Armor Tengu. And it got a little bit of a buff. It keeps the it gets a slight hit to the range, but also gets a 10% to jammer strength now, which puts it on the same jamming level as some of the other uh, ships. So very cool. Happy to see it. Um, I, I am pleased. And it gets the bonus to overheating as well. And because of the low cycle, or excuse me, the high cycle time of ECMs, you can keep them overheating for quite a while. Well, they do take a lot of damage, though, as someone who flew ECM quite often in the past. Ah, but now there's a, a 25% reduction in heat damage absorbed by all modules. I know, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be infinitely broken, is basically what I'm trying to say, as a result of the nature of the damage that they take, but it's going to be fun. No, for sure it bursts, it'll be great. Yeah, one of the uh, kind of interesting things about the Loki specifically, though, is that its armor configurations uh, have been nerfed pretty, I wouldn't say like, like well, pretty heavily to compare to what they are on TQ, but they're still going to be quite strong, I think. Uh, well, and right significantly, now. they get a bonus to armor repair now, which was not possible previously. But you're speaking more in a fleet-level passive tank type deal, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Fleet-level passive tank, web range, Loki. Um, the overheating bonus that they get is really cool. I love it. Um, but as speaking as someone who's attempted to make like armor recons uh, a thing, holy shit, they are just not a thing. Like you get like 50k EHP. Um, and it looks like the disparity between that and the Loki have been significantly decreased. I can't obviously EFT up the stats right now, but I'd guesstimate that with the five low slots it's got, it's going to get like maybe maybe a hundred maybe a hundred and fifty k EHP down from two fifty. So that's a pretty substantial nerf for the Loki. Well, uh, I assume these numbers are going to be tweaked before release, Ian. Probably. Yep. So just keep an eye on it. I like the general direction. Oh yeah. Uh, the tank propulsion subsystems look a little wonky. I'm uh, taking a look at them, but uh, I assume it'll be looked at. Yeah. And then of I, course, I, I overall okay. love the love what they're doing, which is they seem to be making the T3s a lot heavier, and they seem to be making them kind of more focused on doing a lot of things well. You know, like, you have a lot more utility with your fits. If you fit, you can't, like, specialize them to the same degree that you could before, to the point where they would beat everything else uh, at a specific role. But you can make a T3 that does, does two different roles very, very well. Not perfectly, but very, very well. And I like that. I think that's where the T3 should be. And it's going to... Like, basically, what, uh, there's something at least Randolph said a while where he was like, I want CCB to give me a reason to run, um, you know, 20 zealots along with my 70 T3s. And I think, uh, what CCP's done is they've gone in slightly opposite direction and they're trying to give you, uh, a reason to run 20 legions along with your 70 zealots. Well, on the zealots and the sacrilege as well, I'm a little skeptical that the T3s are not going to edge them out. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think the bonus. Maybe, some uh, of the bonuses are the same. It looks like the tanks might be great, and it's really going to come down to putting it in Pyfa and seeing what's up. But yeah, I think the hacks the are really challenged plays. by this. Seeing how the mitigation plays out, because it, it seems like they'll have more on paper tank. 
but they've got a lot. They've got a lot more mass. They're going to be a lot slower, and they're yeah. going to be. Uh, they're going to have a lot bigger SIGs, especially once you start fitting plates to them. And well, not plates to them, obviously, because they add SIG. But once you start actually doing things, they're going to have a lot less mitigation, which was kind of the main problem with them. Yeah, I don't think I the hack problems. mitigation is really where it should be at, though. That's that's one of the issues. Yeah, admittedly, it, it could be it could be better to give them a more distinct role. And that's where I think their role should be. Like, I love that. As like a, a counter to heavy gun type ship, either through low base SIG or strong MWD speeds with low SIG for a cruiser, but it does get that bonus, but it's, you know, just don't think that it's strong enough to really uh, to, to meaningfully lower the damage coming in from battleship guns, and cruiser size guns really don't have an issue with them, which do I don't know if there's a problem or not. Do you think that's a do you think that's based on battleship guns being too good, or the fact that support for battleships is too good? In terms of like why, uh, you know, zealots aren't the natural counter to Macarians, for example. I would argue the latter. Support for battleship fleets is too good. That's why, even though, like you mentioned, fitting an armor recon is virtually impossible. I'm quite happy that's the place it is because they are fantastic support ships. And if they were able to tank even half as well or two-thirds as well as T3s could before this balance pass would be coming out and still have their bonuses, that would just be way too oppressive for anyone who's trying to use a mitigation tank. I think the battleship guns at range are a little too good, the long-range versions. And I think support's too good at short-range. Webs, painters grapplers it's it's too strong so like getting under the guns of a battleship is not a thing that happens in at the fleet fight level because there's such a wide array of support ships to prevent that and then at range i think the issue with the hacks and their mitigation bonus is that at the range that they're going to be engaging at battleship guns are still tracking them too well Well, no especially once you factor in one or two painters just to bounce something off of you guys, like I, this isn't something I would go to CCP before the viewers get up in arms. What do you think about maybe giving hacks a, say, twenty-five percent resist bonus, uh, resistance to webs or paints? I would paints, be pro yes. that webs. No. Mm. Can you elaborate? Uh, just speed proliferation, proliferation rather, like things which are already relatively fast ships. I'm thinking Cerberus in particular. Um, Your T3s, the logical counter to them because you can warp fast. If you're a Brawly-type Doctrine, you're going to have to basically get a warp in. You can't catch them. We're already talking about nerfing support, which would be your long-range webs and or scrams, things like that. Like, take care of the paints, right? So then, long-range, that's your problem solved mostly. The webs... We're going to have to find a better solution or perhaps just say, okay, hacks are now a long-range platforms. If they're going to be a brawling doctrine, then we're going to have to find some other sort of solution because I think a reduction in web effectiveness would just be far too powerful. So I would I would split it. There's a close-range hack and a long-range hack for just about everybody. I would give the long-range hacks the resistance to the painters. i give the short-range hacks the resistance to the webs. Or maybe, ah, well, that's the thing. The short-range hacks, 
they can't really use their mitigation bonus because it's it's kneecapped by scrams because they can't mm. turn the fucking microwarp on. So I would split them out a little bit, have the long range hacks get the resistance to painters, and I'd have their MWD mitigation bonus increased, but their base SIG decreased a little bit. The net gain would be their, it's harder for battleship guns to hit them. Um, and then I would give the short range hacks, or excuse me, reverse that. So their their base SIG would be lower in general. I would give the short range hacks a higher base SIG but I would give them a speed bonus to afterburners and a fitting change so they can't fit oversized ones. And I would give them a resistance to webs. And that's what I would do. So if you can paint short-range hacks, you're going to be hitting them pretty well. But if you're webbing them, it's not going to be as effective because of the afterburner bonus and the web resist bonus. But their overall top speed is not going to be that great. They should be... I would say they should be about as fast as a microwarp driving battleship, ideally. Um, and then for the long-range hacks, you know, they can be zipping around with a microwarp drive, but they're going to be taking barely meaningful damage from long-range battleship guns. You need to bring a long-range cruiser doctrine to deal with them. So the answer to hacks is more hacks or getting proper warpins? I mean... Well, not necessarily hacks. I would say the answer is probably battle cruisers. Like, well, stuff with a bigger tank and comp- comparable ranges, but at the cruiser level. Ah, I see. Cruiser level weapon systems. Yes, and that's. I mean, the, the battle cruiser should be cruiser level weapon systems with a sort of battleship sized tank, like somewhere in between, but still on the cruiser side of things. And I think that's a natural counter to a hack, or it could be. Um, and depending where the hit points come down, you know, I, I think hacks, like, the, the benefit of the hack should be the mitigation damage. A hack shouldn't be able to just raw tank more than a battle cruiser under all circumstances. But if it really invests in mitigation, it should be able to tank far more than against a battleship than any other kind of cruiser. And I wouldn't even be opposed to say there are some hacks where if you invest enough into it in terms of sig reducing links implants that kind of thing maybe it gets some damage reduction against cruisers but in that case it should be there should be drawbacks in other ways i think the the damage reduction is great for the hack the issue is there's the damage reduction with the micro warp drive is just not good enough and at short ranges, if you want to go afterburner hacks, like back where people were doing the fist salads and stuff, there are so many counters to that now with the proliferation of webs and painters and scrams and all that stuff. It's just not it's just not good enough. You're basically asking to die because you will get slowed down, you will be focused, and battleships will hit you for full. All right, well, I think we've murdered this subject. Yes. Let's uh, uh, move it on. AT feeders. Artemis, take it away. Wow. Okay. Uh, they happen. They're fantastic. If you haven't seen them, well, first of all, if you're living under a rock, the AT feeders are the feeder ter- is the feeder tournament for the Alliance tournament, yearly tournament run by CCP. Really great, fantastic prizes. This year's Serpentis theme, pretty freaking fantastic. Um, and they changed the format such that you have a couple of options for getting in. There's a silent auction, 
which was there in previous years. There was, uh, you get in based on performance in previous tournaments, which was there previous years. But the new thing is this feeder tournament, which is you can sign up, you pay 2500 plex, and you fight on Thunderdome. And if you show up, you get your plex back. So this is effectively a very low bar to test the waters, to see if you would be willing to put in the effort to have an actual alliance tournament team, which means that the competition is just coming out in full force. Tons of new teams trying things out, and tons of teams which otherwise possibly wouldn't make it in through the silent auction, or just had a really tough bracket in a previous alliance tournament, and therefore didn't get the seeding required to have an auto-bid back in for the future years, they also get to go through these feeder rounds and basically wipe the floor with new teams and get in. So overall, it is seriously increasing the competition in the Alliance tournament. But let's talk about the feeders as far as the matches are concerned, because they happened, they were streamed by EVENT, and the ones which could not be commentated on by the EVENT staff were also streamed by ISD Star. So all the videos are out there. Um, the seedings, as a result, have now been put forward. 16 teams, correct me if I'm wrong, came through, made it through seeders. Peters? I really should know this. It was, um, I believe it was 31 teams. Ooh, I'm way came off. Through seeders. In any case, um, a bunch of matches happened. The effective format was everybody was paired up into their brackets, and then if you win your first match, you're into the Alliance Tournament. Congratulations. Uh, I'm actually sorry, it was 28 teams. Oh, you let me down, Jim. You let me sorry, down. Bro. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> All good. So if you win your first match, you're into the Alliance Tournament. Well done. If you lose your first match, then you have to win three consecutive matches to make it into the Alliance Tournament. It's very grueling. You really wanted to win your first match. And um, it's really impressive if you made it through by winning three consecutive matches. It shows you have very, very strong core team, and more importantly, consistently. But in yeah, any I, case, go ahead, Jeff. I, I was going to say, I believe that was Rote Capelle, uh, um, Shadow Cartel, Purple Helmeted Warriors, and another team I'm forgetting, who lost one and then still came through. Because there are only four teams that managed to do that. Indeed. So um, the VODs yeah, are up, the seating is up. Uh, there was a very good podcast. Would you even call it a podcast? It was a video with our very own Jintan moderator and Apophany who sat down and went through the bracket as it stands. At least the winner's bracket with some very interesting commentary on various teams, how things are looking to stack up. And I am... The the feeder tournaments were kind of disappointing for me in that the meta sort of expectedly, but it didn't really bloom, right? It was very much either Drone Swarm or a BC Core or something of the like. Very little foray into new and interesting things. It was very much just what people expected the meta to be, and part of that is strategy, right? You don't want to show your new, your fancy, your um, possibly very, very good comps in the feeder tournament because that gives everybody else a chance to practice and counter them. But yep. Plus, some... the best theory crafters probably aren't going to be in the feeder tournament. 
Well, you say that, but you have teams like Kinder. Re- well, no, they bought in, didn't they? I suppose they did. Yeah. I mean, not to say that there wouldn't be, but like the bulk of them are probably just going to go with what worked just to be safe for, for two reasons. One, like the idea that they might be able to create super successful setups. If you're good enough to be doing that, you're also probably smart enough to realize you shouldn't put them out this early in the tournament. And then the other end of it is either you're not good enough to do that and you just realize that and just go, okay, what is everyone else doing? Let's just try to, to win. What was curious to me was if you know what the meta is going to be, then you can create a counter meta, right? Comp, counter, comp. And we didn't really see that. We saw a lot of, there were two standard metas, like I mentioned, with a little bit of ECM and rapid heavy missile launcher battleship core sprinkled in there. And then teams just either relied on out flying, like out mechanically piloting their opponents, or perhaps tweaking the comp a slight bit to give them an advantage but there wasn't very much okay we know they're likely to bring this this and this so what can we do to counter that which i expected a little bit more of but perhaps that's just wishful thinking there there is some of that the problem is that it's a very hard to get to that position and also end game comps tend not to be shown at this level uh, so any good team going through the feeders, their plan was to show as little as possible and just out-execute their opponents, and that worked out fairly well. I mean, if you're if you're not a very experienced team, if you're one of the teams who are just dipping your toe in, this is a very low-commitment kind of thing to participate in. Like I said, 2,500 plex up front. If you participate, you get it back. Everything is done on Thunderdome server, which means you don't actually lose any ISK. The actual line tournament takes place on BQ, Markets are manipulated, you have flagships, you have alliance tournament ships for the more experienced teams. It's very, very expensive, very, very fast. So this allows teams to dip their toes in, and I figured those teams would be like, okay, we don't have the experience, we have to get an advantage somewhere. And if you know that the experienced teams are going to be trying to save their good comps for later, they're going to go with the established meta, then come up with a counter. And that gives you an advantage without having to just hope you get paired up against a team who you can outfly with very little experience. Definitely an interesting way to, to seed the tournament compared to before. I like the commitment to increase competition. I think that's it's just good, right? Why do you, <laughs> the, the alternative is not great. People just bought in. You had some people not show up. It was pricey to the point that it excluded folks. Now you have like this, this fun, cheap, accessible way for people to come in and take their shot at being in the tournament. And, you know, maybe a lot of established teams got through, sure. But just the opportunity that you could have some dark horses like that that would never otherwise come in and try, come in, try, do well, and surprise us all. I like it. Okay. I, I, oh, I gotta yeah. say, I'm super excited for like the last couple of weekends for this AT specifically, um, because we haven't ended up with like a bracket of death or anything. It's oh my god, like the top like eight was so difficult that me and moderator and Apothecary were all just there. Like, how do you see this going out? And we can make really good arguments for pretty much every team that's in that top four, even top six level, taking the final crown. 
you know, it, like even if you don't, even if you're not interested in watching the kind of middle of the pack teams, which there are a shitload of this year, and duel it out early on in the tournament, you're gonna wanna tune in for the fucking at least the best of three and best of five rounds, because that shit is gonna be a straight fire fan. Yeah, I mean, if you're not tuning into the Alliance tournament, you are missing a major cultural touchstone for the EPPP community. And part of what makes this top six, top eight thing work so well, the lack of a bracket of death, is these middle-level teams which are getting in, they're much, much better than middle-level teams of the past, even two, three years ago. Light years ahead as far as uh, coordination, the comps that they're flying, and that's partially because there's not buy-in and there's not just, oh, somebody lucked out with the bracket and so they get auto-bid from the next year or the random draw, what have you. Right, the the quality of the mid tier teams has risen such that it is a it is a challenge to the higher tier teams, which means that it brings a new factor into how many comps do you have that you're willing to push out to guarantee a win over a middle tier team which has a greater than five ten percent chance of beating you if you just underestimate them and bring out something on meta. I think it cannot be underestimated how important the increase in quality of middle-tier teams is to the increase in quality of the end of the bracket. Absolutely. Speaking of quality, let's move on to our host highlights. I had a quality... Excuse me, not the host highlights yet. Uh, I don't have a good transition for this. Speaking of something... uh, Speaking of things (laughs) which Alec knows about... (laughs) Yes! Um, Like that Alec knows about the Alliance tournament. Oh, well, I was I was referring to the host highlights, but okay, we'll throw it's, it's too soon, Ian. I'm not over it. <laughs> I have nightmares about my final alliance tournament matches. Um, so you've heard about the New Eden Trading Company? That would be the NETC, the network of citadels throughout Losec, which allows for ease of transportation for capital ships all over the place. It's a EVE's largest infrastructure project, publicly funded by players, like four trillion isk or some ridiculous amount of citadels and market items and all that stuff. Well, someone is trying to do a much more scaled down version in the Great Wildlands region, which, if you're not familiar with these geography, is a rarely talked about region of NPC space, which has three NPC stations really close to an entrance of Losec. And then no place to dock for, like, the entire rest of the region. It connects to the drone regions. It connects to Curse. It connects to, I believe, Scalding Pass. But it's pretty barren. Might be the worst, like, probably in, like, contention with Providence for the worst region of the game. Oh, Providence is way better. Like, yeah, but Great World. Providence has anomalies. Well, (laughs) sure. But Great Wildlands has tech moons. Does it, though? Yes, it does. And will that matter come the uh, new... Oh, yeah, that's true, because in order to take advantage of it, you'd actually have to live there, and who the fuck wants to do that? Yeah. Apparently, Silent Infinity of Providence Block Fame are not really fame, I guess. They live there. Um, They're... I would call them a minor player in the Pravi Block in terms of, like, the overall... Uh, scale of of size and PvP turnout and political influence is that a correct assessment, Ian? They they exist. They do exist. That is true. 
Uh, they have a few systems. Systems actually are pretty nice. They have a pretty cushy setup in Pravi, but they're not really like uh, like a severance, like one of the main or ULI, one of the main PvP drivers of the Pravi Block Coalition. Certainly, CVA massively dominant over the other alliances there in terms of numbers and politics. Physically leave CVA out there. I was super pumped for a Gen 10 awkward reaction. <laughs> no, I would have just taken it. I'm, I'm, you know, we also we were also missed out of the alliance tournament this year. So, I mean, I love Rivengim, but I would never betray our friendship by implying that Uli Federation was better than his alliance. Not my alliance. <laughs> Hashtag not in my name. <laughs> Hashtag not all Pravis. <laughs> Providence is the actual term. We have a role playing term for that. Wow. Excuse me. Yeah. So, um, basically, what Silent Infinity is doing is they're dropping Astra houses at strategic locations all over the region and allowing safe capital travel through Great Wildlands. And they're doing that in concert with some Mimitar role players, uh, which is a weird pairing since they're coming from the Amar role-playing region. Uh, they're calling the initiative Taming the Wildlands, and they're currently fighting Ebola, Losechnaya, Shlupin, Hashishin Cartel, Rotkapel, Unspoken Alliance, all collectively known as the Chemo Coalition, to get rid of the Citadel cancer that is invading the Great Wildlands. I'm not going to lie, I was in favor of this thing until I heard the name of the coalition against it. In which case, I'm sorry, Silent Affinity, but you've met your match. <laughs> it is amazing branding. It's almost so sad that Chemo Coalition is now wasted on the Great Wildlands. <laughs> like, why can't that be like a low-sec coalition or something? Some place that people would actually... You know, make headlines, but whatever. We're talking about it, so uh, I kind of like it. I Silent Infinity really has an uphill battle to fight if they're going against guys like Ebola, Losishnaya, Hashishin, Rokapel. Those are some pretty serious business PvP alliances. Um, I think the only thing they really have going for them is that no one really has significant big assets in. Uh, in Great Wildlands, like, we're not talking huge fleets. We're talking like fleets of 50 people with some light support. So, I don't know how much Silent Infinity could field, but they're probably not that far off it. I imagine that they're probably not going to be able to match these guys in skill points and FC experience, though. Yeah, it's, it's curious. If it were just about any other group, I'd question whether they're doing this just to try and snipe some cap or super cap kills, trying to travel through the area, like you have it pre-ported and then you quickly take them off the access list when they warp to it and just kill them. Uh, sure, low payoff for the effort they're putting through, but they're also, it sounds like, getting some good fights out of the deal, so you know, why not? But Silent Affinity, no offense to them, don't strike me as the kind of group which could pull off that, let alone would even try. So No, in fact, it's the opposite. They're doing it to frustrate people that are hunting capitals in Grail Islands. Indeed. And uh, I have heard that they are getting dank fights off it, which is cool. I think it's uh, definitely in the same vein of the NETC's mission, and in fact, the Capitalist Army's mission. So I am, uh, I am pro this. I think it's an interesting experiment. I think uh, Silent Infinity, I, I really don't know that much about them. Um, 
other than having worked with them in Providence, not worked with, but fought them in Providence. Um, and even then, it's mostly just ganking their dudes. <laughs> um, so I don't know what their chances are. I, I couldn't make a prediction about that. It certainly seems like they're committed to it in terms of the amount of effort and money that they're putting behind it. Really just a matter of whether or not they can organize themselves and, and meet match these guys in terms of participation and get a couple wins out. There's no, like, massive... I guess maybe the tech moons, but really there's no massive wealth generation mechanism. Even tech moons aren't really what they used to be worth. It's just kind of like a moon now. It's not even a 6-4 level of income. So there's no there's no huge wallet backing any of these guys. Yeah, so the ISK war, ironically, would actually be a real thing. Anyway, uh, moving into host highlights, Cruiser's crew is a corporation that achieved some level of notoriety in EVE. They sort of disbanded, not 100%, but definitely stopped being focal point. Some of their more senior members went into the winds. They're somewhat reforming now, and uh, one of their FCs who worked with NAR way back in the day, um, I just kind of like ran into him when I was roaming. So I put the highlight out on my Twitch channel, and out on YouTube actually. I engaged this gate camp. I was in my jackdaw. There were like gnosises and ashimu, your usual gate camping shit. Um, I tried to pick off like an orc, or excuse me, there were like two tornadoes at range. I tried to pick off one of the natos. Apparently, the natos weren't with the gate camp like I expected that they were. So those two were fighting each other. I was fighting the natos and the gnosises and trying to avoid the ashimu. And while all that shit was going on, a falcon decloaked and jammed me and the Ashabu that was tackling me, and I just warped off because I was in, like, quarter shield at that point. And then a big fleet flooded in behind and apparently killed uh, the Ashabu and didn't kill the Gnosis. I was like, okay, that's cool. I went a couple jumps ahead, found an eagle on a gate, got him to aggress, started killing the eagle. She probably could have, you know, de-aggressed and jumped through if he wanted to, but he wasn't. He wasn't really hitting me too well either, so I'm throwing missiles at him like you do. And we're going, we're going, we're going. All of a sudden, Losec starts to, sp or Local starts to spike. There's a Vagabond, there's a Slafner, all this stuff is coming in. So I book it. I'm out of there. Turns out the Eagle's with the group that had came into the gate camp after me and killed everybody. And it was these cruiser crew guys. And the guy that I knew from way back was like, yo, Alec, come roaming with us. So I was like, all right, sure. My ship was really cheap, so if they decided to turn on me and kill me, it wouldn't have been a big loss. So I hung out with them for a little bit, and it didn't take long. We got a really cool fight. They did some expert baiting and managed to draw out a huge fleet, including a Varger, a Macarials, Super Caps, all this Did stuff. You call it master baiting? I would call it masturbating, yes, absolutely. Furiously. And uh, as they were masturbating, the enemy came, and they brought uh, some super capitals, and they just launched these white fighters out, and they just flooded the screen with this, uh, with this color white. And it was milky, it was all over the... <laughs> I can't keep it going. Um... 
But the fighters were out. We're fighting, we're fighting, we're fighting. We managed to kill the Varger. We managed to kill the Macariel with supers on field, putting their fighters out with all this other stuff that's happening. Hicks were there. The whole nine yards. Um, we get these awesome kills and we're off. The kills were like almost four billion put together. Pretty great. Uh, probably three because Max have really tanked in price, but it was still a, a fantastic set of kills. And um, they got some return kills as the fleet that I was with was trying to leave. But as I was leaving, going a different direction, I found a Demos at a gate. And the Demos is hanging, and I'm hanging. And I'm like, is this, is this guy going to do something? Because I'm going to jackdaw. I'll fight a Demos. What's up? He just starts to orbit me, orbit me, orbit me. I'm calling the, the fleet that I was with back. Like, guys, I got this Demos here. He's clearly waiting for me to aggress him. I'm pretty positive I can get him to aggress back. Just get your fleet on this gate. We'll get a kill. Before they're even fully there, he does aggress me. And he can't, for the life of him, track me. <laughs> Turns out uh, he's using Void. And when I am in my defense mode with the SIG reduction, and set that kind of thing, at close range, not really too hittable by a Demos with Void. Um, so he was missing me constantly. And I'm like, well, shit, if he can't hit me, I'm going to point him back, I'm going to put some missiles into him. And he's losing this fight with the gate guns on my side and my damage coming into him through his explosive hole. He's about to drop, starts to degress. One of my fleet mates lands and executes a good... Uh, a good micro jump field drive off the gate, and we finished this dude. But I, I essentially had sold him. The jump drive and like 100, 200 damage was all it took from the other ship to put him down. So, really awesome roam. Really good kills. It was great to see those guys again. And uh, now I'm in, like, in their channel. They're, I think they're deploying near where my corp is based, so we might do some more stuff together. Artemis, take it away. Cool. Mine is nowhere near as interesting. I just had a ton of fun watching the feeders and, like, doing practice for the Alliance tournament. Mercenary Coalition is hardcore practicing for it. We practice uh, every day on the weekends, twice on Sundays, and then multiple weekdays. Our practice schedule is changing at the moment, but it used to be at least three weekdays. So a lot of practice happening, and um, it's a lot of fun. So that's my highlight. Kind of boring, but it's fantastic for me. And uh, my personal highlight is obviously finding out that I am going to be an announce, uh, sorry, a caster, an analyst uh, in Iceland for the Alliance tournament. I'll get you a booster seat. Fuck off. <laughs> CSM favoritism, Alec, for Alliance tournament caster 2018. Hey, you mean people who live within a reasonable distance of Iceland and can get flown to Iceland probably for cheap, TM. Yes. Let's <laughs> <laughs> be real here. Yeah, let's be real. Being English is the greatest advantage I could ever have. I mean, the accent helps. Well, let's talk after Brexit. Ooh. It's okay. Uh, fucking um, Iceland isn't part of the European Union either. Maybe we can become bros. <laughs> you could be like the uh, the European Islands Federation or something. The fuck off Frenchies and Germans coalition. Right. 
I mean, it's not like Iceland hasn't invaded us a couple of times. We're practically the same country. Except for the volcanoes and glaciers and such. Scotland used to have volcanoes. Millions oh. of years ago. Oh, well that's not <laughs> as interesting. They got the uh, the Scottish bogs. That's oh close. All your land smells really bad. Yeah, great. A lot of sulfur happening. I don't know. None of the other stuff, but... All right. All right. Region descriptions. We're getting really close to the end, you guys. We're now it's, into it's, the it's drone like, regions. Yeah. Sorry, again. I was going to say, I, I thought you meant to the podcast, because it's been like three fucking hours. It has been two hours. And yes, that's also true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yin, take it away with Cobalt Edge. As I've said before, Cobalt Edge is a region I have a lot of history with. It's the first region I ever like actively participated in strategic level of seeing uh, when I was in Razor and helping to take it over. A natural place, a natural destination for explorers and adventurers of all kinds, Cobalt Edge juts up and out of the drone region subcluster thrusting a long, wicked blade of stars out into intergalactic space. Its status as a prominence in the local geography seems to have attracted the attentions of some of the more adventurous rogue drones, as well as capsuleers motivated by wanderlust and greed for its untapped resources. Many strange tales have been brought back from the edge, to the stopping points and way stations and the growing colonies in the neighbouring regions, Tales of rare, solitary drones specialized beyond normal experience, wandering the systems. Stories of those lone wanderers being hunted by packs of normal rogue drones. Weird rumors of the lonesome ones actually helping capsuleers in dire circumstances. Most of these tales, not least those claiming aid from rogue drones, are dismissed out of hand. They persist, and are joined by more at every time an explorer from Cobalt Edge sits down in a bar to drink and talk. Illuminati theme here. I think you really had a missed opportunity there to do it in an Alex Jones impression. Shit. Thrusting a long, wicked blade of stars! They're turning the fucking frogs game! <laughs> Stand behind me, Obama. Oh my god. Now, uh, <clears throat> we've got Artemis up with the Kalevala Ke Expanse and Malpace. Okay. The Kalevala Expanse. No description. Malpace, which I'm probably mispronouncing. At the heart of the drone region subcluster, Malpais quickly gained a reputation as a graveyard for the unwary. Its twisting roots leading many, many eager explorers, explorers astray in the early days of the capsuleer expansion into the region. Death by rogue drones was before long joined by death by piracy and war, as capsuleers settled into patterns of behavior seen in so many other outer regions. The region's reputation led many to avoid it in favor of opportunities elsewhere. And now for the Ethereum Reach. 
Considered by many to be the gateway to the drone regions, Ethereum Reach rapidly became extensively colonized by those drawn to the opportunities opened up in the newly accessible systems. Briefly, the Mimitar Republic pondered its strategic advantage over most other empires, with proximity to the regions through, through relatively short routes into the Reach no doubt tempting. The Skarkin incident showed how tenuous its advantage really was, before other matters demanded the full attention of the Mimitar tribes. Even so, some Thucker caravan masters continued to maintain an interest in the area, abutting onto their great wildlands domains, and have become authorities on the rogue drones. Expertise on the uses to which rogue drone parts can be put to is not the least of the advantages why the, of the wily Thucker derive from their age-old traditions of exploration and specialization. I am really digging like the war correspondent thing you got going on there. I was I was trying to go for the official Eve news voice, the guy that does the uh ah. the CCP videos. Your tone was on point. I just didn't recognize it due to the lack of the accent. Yeah, it's that's not something I practice, just sort of what I was shooting for. Shoot from the hip. Okay, Alex. Look at back. Uh the chat would like to, would like us to say more about the frogs being gay. <laughs> they turn the frickin' frogs gay. I want them to stop putting chemicals in the fucking water. They're turning the fucking frogs gay. God I don't understand these references. You've never watched oh, Artemis before. I've never even heard of him. I don't know whether Artemis is lucky or foolish. He's oh, he's unlucky. He is he is missing out on some prime, missing a cornerstone of some culture. Prime meme steak. Just the perfect rib cut of a pure memory that is Alex Jones. You can. Like, he is kind of like <laughs> the fact that he was still like either in character or is genuinely so like that that during his divorce trial, where he was arguing for his kids, he would still rant like that. It's like amazing. His divorce trial was interesting in that first his lawyer claimed that his entire situation was just performance art. And that, you know, he's not actually like this, and that the show is entirely fake, and he shouldn't lose his kids for things he says in the show. In which case, people were like, oh, well, what the fuck? He's just fake and pretend. Mm, actually, it seems like he might not be. <laughs> and I don't know what's worse. Okay. But I, I have linked Artemis a, a compilation so he can uh, at least have a, a t cultural touchstone for the memes. Well, that's enough for this podcast, Turning the Frogs Gay. This has been Declarations of War. Go to declarationsofwar.com to participate in the show poll and leave a comment on the show. Reminder that the Capitalist Army is recruiting. Join Capitalist Chat in-game for more info and hop on a roam with us. We're recruiting folks that are interested in bringing the benefits of capitalism to dangerous space around the world. And uh, we're having a pretty good time doing it. It's a great corp atmosphere. Wherever you are, good hunting listeners.